I realized that what I was doing in my first virtual sales manager pro management program was essentially what these people were calling group coaching or group consulting. And, you know, I was deriving a six figure monthly income from it. Welcome to the everything is influence podcast. This podcast is dedicated to help you understand why human beings do the things they do and ultimately how you can work with human psychology to influence change and get people to do what you want them to. Whether this is your clients, your prospects, your kids, your spouse, or anyone you come into contact with, this show will give you the tools of influence so that you can become more, unlock your true potential, and serve even more powerfully than you already do. My name is Eli Wild. Let's dive in. So hello, everyone, and welcome back. We have an amazing episode today with literally a legend in the space, somebody that's changed my sales. And as always, we are going to go through the four levels of influence. Ultimately, how's this person become who they've become? How do they see the process of influence, of sales, of transferring their clearly designed thoughts and ideas into another human being, which is level two influence, level three, how they've done that to groups, and ultimately, legendary influence, how do we take our influence, our ideas, and really reach the market at scale through people and process and infusing our values into people to make sure that the change is lasting. So without any further ado, uh, Mr. Kevin Nations, how are you, sir? Hey, buddy. It's great to join you this morning. It's my honor to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and so, you know, you've had such an impact on me uh, indirectly through, you know, Garrett J. White, uh, Jesse Elder, a bunch of other people in the space, Frank Kern. And, you know, about 10 years ago, I kept on hearing your name so much. And I just, I consumed anything I could get a hold of, of yours, but it wasn't like I could buy your book or just even, it, you make it hard to find you, um, you know? And so I wanted to, I, I was really grateful that you decided that you, you know, agreed to do this so I could expose people to uh, your ideas and how you see the process of influence and sales where we're going, what the challenges are. But if if we could, um, you know, start out with just to let everybody know that might not be familiar with you, uh, what are you up to in the world today? And, you know, how do you, what, what is your business? And we're going to kind of reverse engineer how you've gotten to this place, starting with your beginning. So if you could let us know what, what you're up to in the world today, um, we'll start right there. Awesome, Eli. Well, thanks for having me. And I think if I'm not mistaken, this is the first podcast, second maybe, but the first podcast I've been on in over a decade. Wow. So uh, not something I do often, but you were so gracious in your request. What I'm up to now, um, I have for a little over 19 years now, coming up on two decades, have taught uh, primarily leaders, uh, what one might call true thought leaders. I know that that has become a bit cliche. Uh, in the last few years of uh, leadership being more about uh, exposure and volume than basically depth and value, but work in trying to help leaders develop a significant platform so that they can share their leadership and whatever they help do. And also, I've found that one of the things that helps most powerfully for any type of escalation or growth is to have a really powerful foundation. 
And that foundation is the life that we choose to live. And as such, I've been for, think about seven years now, uh, sharing in a very small group, as you mentioned, a brand called Chillionaire. And I think it's time that that uh, premise, that practice, that influence, as you call it, uh, actually disseminates to a wider audience. Because I think that designing the life that one deserves uh, is something or one feels they deserve is really something that is of significant importance because the only life that you deserve is the one that you've carefully designed. So we're going to work to do that with the uh, Chillionaire movement and just helping people to understand that they can design the life they feel like they deserve and then begin to live into it. That's amazing. I, um, you know, I'd first heard about you from a bunch of, bunch of friends and they, you know, this is about 10 years ago, had referred to you as being the godfather of this high ticket sales movement. And I, I had a couple of friends that had joined the program you did with Frank Kern, uh, one man millions. I think it was like a $75,000, you know, it, it had, had it varied. Um, it had gone up a bit and it was around a 75 grand, uh, kind of a lifestyle design, high ticket coaching program. When did you guys do that? Um, we modeled something I had called the big ticket blueprint. Yeah. And I began working with Frank, I think in second quarter, 2010, somewhere thereabouts, you get old and the memory is one of the first things that starts to go. But about 12 years ago, uh, we worked together for a little over a year, around a year and a half and yeah. rolled out that one man millions. And it was, there was a lot of great people that I met through, uh, working together with Frank. He's an incredible guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, working with, Tony Robbins directly, we had, you know, he's got this platinum partnership program that was less than that at the time. And it was like big ticket to me was 10 grand. And I was hearing about, you know, really big ticket. And I was like, you know, what's going on there? And it's amazing just talking to you. You have uh, such a nice presence, such a nice cadence, um, not hypey or excited. And the way you connect and really explain things, really, really powerful. Um, did you, how did you start out in sales? Like what's your, what's your background into this, this crazy arena? So I was in sales from middle school. Mm -hmm. I sold, uh, for the future farmers of America in rural Mississippi, uh, bushels of oranges, uh, over the <laughs> holiday season. I think maybe this was about seventh or eighth grade and I became hooked. I mean, I sold more than anybody in the history of, I think our, our little chapter there. And I just loved helping people find something for the holidays. Uh, I left sales and went into interestingly enough, nuclear engineering because mm -hmm. my dad was an engineer and also a minister. And he just felt like sales was one of those, you know, dirty little, um, industries that one goes in and either goes to prison or goes broke. Mm -hmm. um, so I abandoned that, studied nuclear engineering, went into the Navy, rode submarines, and then went immediately, uh, even before I uh, left the Navy, uh, the last maybe 18 months or so, I was in the Navy riding submarines when I would come back in and have time on what was called off crew. We'd be back in and not out at sea. I started selling again full force and went into what sales 1992 full time. What were you selling? You know, I figured with your, I mean, you obviously had a, a love for sales, seventh grade, and then went to the Navy. Surprised they didn't put you into recruiting or, or something like that. Oh, you stay in what you're trained to do. And they 
they love that nuclear power as as they should. It's got a lot of benefits to it. Um, I I left and began selling uh, basically uh, IT and telecom services equipment and sold that for for quite some time. Um, beginning it with at one time, boys and girls, before the interwebs, uh, people paid for their long distance by the minute, and if you wanted to call from as we're talking right now, if we just wanted to pick up the phone and have a conversation and record it, Eli, we'd be paying each probably about 30 cents a minute for the privilege of speaking to each other. Um, So I sold that and then moved into more complex things. Hmm. And you said, you know, you were just good at sales right when you started. Um, You know, for some people, they, they learn all these objection handlers and scripts and tactics, but I can tell that it's, it's principles and philosophy and how you view the sales process, how you view the person. What, what do you think differentiated you to be able to excel at sales, especially so early on? Um, I don't try to sell anything to anybody that doesn't want what I'm selling. Yeah. So I just try to find the people who truly want it and then also can, can make a benefit from it. I differentiate that from need because I think for the last maybe 15 years, few, if any of my clients have needed to work with me. Um, those people can sometimes be quite challenging clients, but they've been able to benefit significantly from working with me. And, um, you know, those are the clients I like best, the ones that are not coming out of need, but coming out of a significant and uh, very measured and, and clear desire uh, mm-hmm. to do some work together and, and derive a great benefit from it. Yeah, we say uh, be a leader of leaders, not a meter of needers. Um, well put. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, your capacity to connect with these people. I know when you had uh, your original program, uh, folks like Garrett J. White went through it. Jesse Elder, one of my mentors, um, good friends. You had kind of the, I think, Lisa Sasevich, some of these these bigger names. I, I kept on hearing your name from them. Um, did you have a program? How did these people hear about you and, and find you? All referral. I, I started... Um, and took a couple of training courses myself when I, I, um, just prior to entering and a lot of people talk about, I'm going to learn how to sell high ticket. Uh, well, two years prior to actually beginning to sell high ticket, uh, two and a half years or so, I took a, uh, sales territory for a fortune 20 company from around $9 million in sales to a hundred million dollars in sales within a year. And then I left because the politics of performing well in a really large company are kind of unique. Uh, Not everyone wants you to perform well outside predefined norms. Uh, So I started uh, a company that started as an IT staffing company. We rolled into some other types of staffing and grew that uh, straight out of cash flow just from selling into um, about 130 employees by the time I sold my interest back to my partner. And then I went to a internet marketing event and heard icons of industry at that time. This was probably 2000, late 2002. Mm. Uh, icons of industry talking about how to build a big list and how to make all this money uh, you know, selling to a list. I didn't know how to do that, but I knew how to help people at a significant level. And so I came back and began just in my local market uh, began uh, using some of the things that I had learned there, developing uh, what was a virtual sales training, pro- virtual sales management program. I became the mm-hmm. sales manager for about 15 or so companies in the Columbus, Ohio area. And um, 
then I saw some people in the uh, community that I had connected with when I went to that first event. I went to another one maybe a year or so later. I saw some people in there who were talking about this thing called coaching. And at that time, uh, the arena of coaching was uh, very uh, orthodox in that you didn't teach anybody anything. You only elicited from them, you know, what they knew themselves. Don't share any information. And uh, doing some research, the average income of the traditional coach was about ten, fifteen thousand dollars per year across the industry. This was perhaps two thousand four. Uh, 2000, late 2003. And so I, I realized that what I was doing in my first virtual sales management pro- management program was essentially what these people were calling group coaching or group consulting. And, you know, I was deriving a six figure monthly income from it. So, you know, what they were making in a year, I was making on average, there were people who were outliers. I was doing in maybe three or four days. And so I thought, this might be incredibly helpful. And so I began teaching a few people that I met at events. They started introducing me to others. And I, I really began by referral just because of the results of some of my clients, um, you know, right out of the gate, as soon as I began offering some things into, into the space, which was around 2004. Yeah. And when did you start developing your process? Cause I, you know, Working for Tony and a lot of companies I worked for, we had scripts or we just asked a bunch of questions and things like that. But you developed a framework that pretty much everybody has modeled in some way, including myself, uh, rapid research agenda, pain, investigation, decision. Is that is that right? Yep. Well, our research is, is awesome. I call it reconcile the difference between, you know, the two goals coming in. They're coming in typically to a call to gather a bunch of information and put it into uh, some sort of uh, probably mind that would be um, a, a good episode of the mo- of one of the hoarders episodes on TV series, mm-hmm. uh, dump it in there with all the other uh, sales calls that they've gone on to and uh, refuse to tell you yes or no at the end because they're still thinking about it along with the other 1142 people that they've spoken to recently. Mm -hmm. So that first R is just reconciling that there is a difference in the two agendas. You're just there for a decision, yes or no. And I think that your platform to um, expect a yes or a no decision is elevated when you don't create any pressure toward yes. As soon as you create pressure toward yes, your autonomy and your ability to expect a decision kind of gets diluted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah, was it the, the agenda is the ask, tell, ask, tell. Spot um, on. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just going to ask you some questions to find out if, or how we can help you. Yeah. Tell you the process and uh, you can ask me any questions you want. Benevolent alpha. And at the end of the call, just let me know if it all made sense. Sound good. It's about that- like that, wasn't it? Is that fair? Is that fair? I liked it. It was that fair because I've never got maybe one person in 20 years has told me, told me no. So then we just go back to that plea for fairness at the end. It's like, well, we said this was a fair expectation. So I'm going to expect it. Just tell me if it's a fit or not. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing. How'd you, how'd you kind of derive all that just from being on calls or? It was the way that I had sold pretty much uh, forever. I never worked to enunciate it. I like mnemonics because they help you know, to simplify what can sometimes be diverse and complex. And so, uh, you know, I, I didn't come up with the name and, and try to roll it out. I 
put down what I did on a sales call and tried to distill that. I was probably around 2005 mm -hmm. that I started distilling that into a protocol. And you're right. A lot of people use that. And I'm grateful. It, it has worked really well for, for quite some time. That's amazing. And so you heard about this coaching industry and you started to connect with some of these folks that were selling high ticket coaching and you developed. There was no one that I knew of yeah. selling high ticket coaching at the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, there, there wasn't, it was, it was taboo to my knowledge. Um, you know, everyone that was a guru at the time, you know, their mantra was sell packaged sets because God forbid that you would, you know, have intimacy with anyone. Um, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but there was Jay Abraham selling, you know, the chance to mentor with him at, you know, a million dollars a minute. And then mm -hmm. there was everyone else who was, uh, you know, that was doing engaged um, services, not one-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, group engaged services, uh, that were basically either selling box sets or selling multi-speaker events, which were like 12 to $1,500 that you went and multiple experts, you know, shared their thing. That was, and, and I, I might be naive about that, but that was the only models that I saw at the time was people selling information primarily, and then people selling, uh, multi, primarily multi-speaker events. Yeah. Yeah. Back, back then, I know, I mean, learning annex kind of like the success resources today, they do these big events. They spend a ton on marketing, get a bunch of people there. Um, I remember the first one I saw, it was like Donald Trump, Susie Orman, Tony Robbins, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, and they get these big name speakers. And then if, you know, in a local town hero, like Johnny bench, and if they're in, you know, Cincinnati or Kareem Abdul magic Johnson, if they're in LA, they get this local sports hero and that's the draw. And then they had all these people there trying to sell stuff and they'd sell a program for, you know, a thousand bucks or 500 bucks. And then they, you know, they try to put together a free event for these, these people that had bought at the, the big event. And then they try to sell them a, like a 10 K package. And that was pretty much it off of events, but getting people on the phone, selling them a, you know, five or six figure program. That was kind of the, this was kind of the beginning of it when you started connecting with these folks and showing them how to, to do it. To my knowledge, it was the beginning of it. And, yeah. you know, other people who've been around for quite some time have shared that's their thoughts as well. I don't want to ever make that claim lest someone come out and say, you know, I was doing it before then. If they were, then that's amazing. Uh, but we existed in parallel lives. We, to my knowledge, we didn't intersect anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard about this concept until I was, you know, gotten into, into your stuff myself. And I had probably a, a dozen people that are respected a lot that were just, you know, the icons of the industry selling, you know, the best salespeople I was researching. Um, and they all mentioned you as, as the guy. Uh, so that's, that's amazing. You created your own kind of mastermind. Was it your own? And then you partnered with Frank at one. How did all that evolve? This evolved because of a, a picture. <laughs> I, I saw a client give a testimonial for another mentor who, in my opinion, was actually degrading her experience. And that's just my own opinion. And on her desk was a graduation pro, uh, letter. This was perhaps late 2005, a graduation certificate from one of my events. I held events uh, 2004, five, six, around that time frame for uh, around $8,000, three-day live event. 
have anywhere from 15, 20 people in them. And then when everyone was done, I would be just like, oh, okay, thanks so much. I've taught you everything you need to know, you know, go be well. And I saw this lady and I started realizing that people need continued leadership um, as much as they need just the information. So I rolled out uh, a mastermind. I hadn't really heard of the concept, but I think others were already doing this by that time. I rolled out a mastermind in late 2006 and uh, I didn't really know. Um, I just said, hey, we'll get together every quarter in some cool place and go deeper into what we're doing. That was it. That was all that was offered. And it was the, there was a monthly charge and I passed out enrollment forms at the event uh, on the second day and told people they could give them back to me the next morning. And before they left, I think maybe seven, and it was like maybe 15 people in the room. So we're not talking about a lot of people, but like 70% of the room gave me the forms back as soon as they got them um, and just handed them back. And that's when I started realizing that, you know, continued leadership was really important to people uh, being able to have their questions answered, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I ran that until 2009 uh, or late 2009, Frank and I, uh, actually rolled out the, as you mentioned, the, uh, one man millions, um, ongoing support program. And we, I think called the program at that time, just for, because everybody had these crazy words for all of their names. We just mm-hmm. poked a little fun at that and called ours, the program. And then, so prior to, and, and after working with him, I had, you know, my own group and then we had ours together, uh, and served those people together while we were working together. Amazing. When, you know, teaching the sales, were you teaching scripting? Were you teaching kind of leadership? What were you teaching to these, these folks? Because a lot of these folks um, already leaders in the space, but you were teaching them leadership, mentorship. Uh, what did that entail? Was it scripting, asking questions? Kind of what's your, what's your process there? You know, some of it is in the flow and you mentioned rapid is not necessarily a slip of slip, a script. That's mm-hmm. a slip. It's not necessarily a script, but a protocol that people can go through and they kind of know when they've accomplished step one, step two, step three, step three, step four, they know where they are. So I believe in protocols a lot more than scripts because I think it's helpful to be uh, engaged, but to know what your agenda is on each of those steps as the, as the leader of the conversation. And then you mentioned uh, the benevolent alpha, which is a training that I've taught a few times over the years and uh, scattered it in amongst my mastermind teachings. That is really a way of being. I think that many people uh, who actually are the prize get confused on sales calls and fantasize that they are a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And so I teach that uh, comparison. If one is the prize, then they don't need to beg or to plead. That does mean that some people who have that expectation will not buy from them. And in my experience and in my reflection, you know, those people who don't buy are a bullet well dodged most often. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then one of the things I really feel like that begins to attract others to work with someone is the elimination of the weakest link. And then so as they do their marketing, but they continue to accept clients from the top of the pile in terms of commitment, we'll just use that. You know, you say, well, what is a great person? What's a person who's committed to um, their mastering their craft, getting results and delivering that delivering value. Uh, we'll leave all the other uh, points of distinction out right now. But when you pe- bring people from the top of the pile from a commitment standpoint, then you're, 
uh, group becomes known for one with a very few, if any, hopefully none, weakest links. And, it, you know, it becomes and remains attractive. Yeah. You mentioned being the prize, you know, valuing yourself. How does one maintain that they are the prize when, especially when they're a salesperson selling for somebody else or when their bank account's really low and they're really hungry? You know, it's like they're, they're not making sales. They're, they're, they're hungry, starving, and they're out there. How do they maintain that they're the prize? Well, they're not underpaid. So if they are being paid, and that's why I talked about, you know, the trillionaire uh, premise in the beginning, that lifestyle design, um, they need to find out why everyone is outperforming them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, athletes do this all the time. No matter what level you play as an athlete, you're going to be beaten in a game and you're either going to, you know, uh, fail to perform uh, in the future and let that you know, continue to drag you down, blame the officials, blame the coaching, blame the scenario, blame the venue, or you're going to find a way to rise above because, you know, life brings us uh, imperfect officiating, you know, perhaps uh, terrible coaches from time to time, an unfavorable venue. A leader is not the one who can, you know, succeed when all the conditions are in their favor. A leader is one who can succeed despite all other conditions being against them. Maybe not every game, but across, and you mentioned your four steps of influence across a legacy, a lifetime and beyond of influence. A leader is somebody who's going to be recognized as an overcomer. And likely that legend doesn't begin until the first point of resistance when people don't expect them to win. When People are consistently expecting you to win and you do, you really haven't accomplished much. But when you start playing in a venue or at a level that people may not expect you to win and you overcome, you know, you become legend. Yeah. What, when you've coached so many amazing high ticket coaches and, and salespeople, what do you think? Uh, and I know it might be hard to say, but what are the, the distinctions, the character traits, what separates somebody who's, you know, average versus somebody who's really amazing? Personal responsibility. That's the only, that's the only, um, you can't improve what you don't measure. You can't measure what you, you know, fail to defend. They say that lady justice in the world may not be true in real life, but you know, the premise is in our, in the United States that our legal system is a blind lady holding the scales. And that's certainly true in, you know, the world of success, uh, success is a blind lady holding the scales and, uh, you know, God fortune, uh, circumstances don't favor you over someone else. If you feel that way, then, you know, that is something you can either lament or you can practice to, you know, overcome. And so personal responsibility, the only way to improve is to measure and plan. You say measure and plan, um, for yourself or for salespeople, do you recommend any kind of, I guess, personal feedback loop or like end of day reporting, like for myself, just based on my life, I've got kind of a checklist I go through at the end of the day, probably too much on it, but I rate myself on leadership, discipline, uh, confidence, confidence defined as my capacity to show up present where I make other people feel safe. Um, So I've got a list of about 12 things here, productivity, uh, revenue producing activities, um, my communication, and I kind of recycle back through my day. Um, You know, so when you say management, is that measuring things like follow-ups, uh, calls, uh, like K- different KPIs. 
what what would be some of those for you? What 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 gets measured specifically? Well, do you feel like that you have improved your life in the areas that you're measuring? Always, yeah. That's why I do it. Well, yeah. then to the KPIs you need to measure are the ones you want to improve. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's quite impossible to improve something you can't measure. Mm-hmm. On for a sales process, what are some things that you think people should be measuring as a sales? Uh, you know, somebody selling high ticket coaching. Selling their own high ticket coaching. You want to start there. Yep. I think that the market isn't as naive as many would like for us to believe. And if you are having difficulty selling your high ticket services, likely it's not that you're a dime. If if you've had difficulty for, let's just say a couple of months, likely it's not that, you know, you have something great to offer and the market is naive about your expertise. It's that you have something mediocre to offer and the market is well aware of it. Yeah. Amazing. I think most of the time um, people are selling uh, according to the value proposition after, you know, there could be a short period of time that you may be undervalued and the market needs to catch up in their understanding of your contribution. There might be a certain period of time where if you're, you know, quite eloquent and wordy, you could be overvalued and perhaps be whatever one would say, convincing people that may uh, overestimate your value for a short period of time. But I think that reconciles pretty quickly. I think yeah. that most people are selling according to their, um, to the combination of their uh, contribution, the power of their contribution, the depth mm-hmm. of their commitment, and then the strength of their communication. But you can only communicate your actual contribution and commitment if you contribute some, if you communicate something that is incongruent with your contribution and commitment, the market's going to find that out before long in your, you know, high volume of your communication is just going to be seen, you know, in high levels as to how incongruent it is. And we've seen those people rise and fall, you know, it just takes maybe a year or so for someone who's very eloquent, but not very um, committed in delivery to expose to more and more and more people how um, misaligned their contribution, their commitment is with their communication, the market starts dropping off. The C's. I, I love it. And you know what I'm what I'm hearing here, you know, and this this blends well into my feedback loop. Um, you know, and I I have evolved this over the years before I was exposed to Garrett J. White stuff, but I went through the the warrior program and he's got the you know the body balance being business, your core four before you hit the door, that whole thing. Um, but I know that he evolved it from you. I know uh, a lot of guys, Sean Whalen, uh, Ryan Stuman. He's got his four G's, I think it is. Like God, some, something, I, I forget what it is. Um, but you, they, a lot of people have evolved this kind of feedback loop measurement process based on your, your four F's. Um, and that is, what, what are those four F's again? Those are great guys you brought up, by the way. Yeah, I mean, those are incredible guys. Uh, So faith, family, fitness, and finance. I keep that just under where my watch would go um, all the time. So I'm reminded every morning, faith is really the depth of our foundation of what we have. And it's not necessarily whether you're Muslim or Christian or Buddhist or, you know, whatever brand name you put on uh, your aspiration to faith, but it's just congruency with who you choose to be. And if that is aided by 
um, maybe quantifying or identifying some sort of persona to that power that's greater than us. I salute that, whatever. But faith is the depth of our foundation. And if we're congruent, then we can, you know, have a strong and powerful depth. Family is the breadth of our foundation. It's how wide it is. You know, you and I have an opportunity to talk today and share mutual respect because of how we've treated others in our life. You, we haven't really communicated a whole lot, but because of how you mentioned some names, Jesse feels about our, our personal relationship and how Garrett feels about our personal relationship. You know, you extend that expectation of, of congruency to me because you've seen it in so many people you trust. And so family is a lot more than just people who share our DNA, but it's our vendors, our clients, the people that we engage with. And, you know, any cracks in that foundation, any unresolved things can bring issues in places we can't build our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, fitness is basically just the strength of the building materials then that we use for elevation. After we've gotten our foundation built, we began to seek elevation in three questions or three uh, responses, two questions and three responses to, you know, the things in our life is, is it a fit? There's a number of things that aren't a fit in your life. You don't need to look at your closet or your trunk of your car sometimes to see this in evidence or to look at, you know, your credit card bill and look for things for billing that you haven't been using for 36 months. Uh, So is it a fit? If not, throw it out. If it is a fit, is it fit? Is it, you know, is your car detail, whether it's a Hyundai or a Rolls, is, are your, you know, financials in order? Is your day planned? Is it organized? If it's not a fit, throw it out. If it's not a fit, if it is a fit and it's not fit, then, you know, repair it, resolve it. And if it is a fit, and this is where a lot of people make some mistakes. If it is a fit and it is fit, celebrate it. A lot of people are looking for the next thing to fix and they fail to celebrate those things that are going on great in their lives. And then finally, finances. Finances is just the fuel that you put in, you know, the speed with which you can create elevation. Uh, But it's really hard to create a sustainable elevation if you're not, you know, have fit in your building materials and have both a breadth and a reliable depth to the foundation that you have. So if you pull all those things together, you know, a lot of people are looking to elevate their finances without taking care of those other fundamentals. And that's why you see many people raising up and beginning to either self-sabotage or finding themselves sabotage just because, you know, the building wasn't designed for the elevation that they're seeking to grow to. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. You know, I just on my Facebook and I were Facebook friends there. I will post, you know, and I see other, my friends posting like these tactical things and it's the same people just looking for freebies and all of that. And they're looking for this like magic formula, objection, handler, phrase, or question to get all the sales. But a lot of times they're, they're incongruent. Their life is a mess and they blame the product or the clients. And there's this, you know, I, I, I love the quote from Emerson. He says, who you are, speak so loudly, people can't even hear what you say. And so what you've kind of introduced to the market is a self-management process to become fit in the areas of the, you know, beyond the sale. And that's kind of what you've, you've introduced so many people to. That's, that's profound. How did you develop that? Was that just you just one day saying, Hey, this is how I manage my own life. I grew up in uh, fundamental religion and man, from seven to, till I, uh, until now, I observed, and, and this isn't always true, but there's a predominance of it that sometimes the most eloquent uh, 
um, people within, you know, that particular, I'll call it business arena, were not necessarily the ones that behind the scenes, because my family had been like four generations in the religion that I grew up in. I had quite a bit of exposure uh, to, you know, church leadership, et cetera. And I found that sometimes the people that, you know, were the most prolific were not necessarily, in my view of things, the most powerful, meaning the most kind, the most generous. And so, you know, I really began to uh, want to both study from within myself and then study other, you know, leaders over the years that taught about, you know, building a life of of real power, which is one that makes you happy, mm-hmm. um, you know, truly happy, not just borrowing or renting happiness so that you can post it onto, you know, some sort of Instagram reel, but you know, what makes you truly happy. And so I think that that alignment, something I started um, aspiring to live into, I haven't always done a great job. I've done a great job sometimes. So I want to pat myself on the back for the times I have and look back with dismay at the times that I've been, you know, tempted to do otherwise. But but I think that that, that observation that people that were really prolific weren't always the most kind and the most generous and the best examples of what they were teaching, um, you know, led me to try to seek a life of congruence versus just high volume. And, and I see that in our industry as well. Not always. And not always not either. There are people who, because of their congruency, have had an amazing amount of success. And there are people who are having a very vocally um, high, you know, volume, highly forceful, if you want to talk about force and power, um, highly forcefully projected life of amazing success that you, you know, find behind the scenes is actually full of struggle and dismay. And, um, I am an incredible introvert, and so I don't get out and about much. And so I wanted a life that I was just as happy living by myself as I was, you know, projecting to, I'd say, the masses. I don't have masses of people that follow me. But whoever chose to follow me, you know, have that congruence. It was really important. Yeah. Well, the right people follow you, that's for sure. I mean, speaking some of good it, ones do. Yeah. Speaking of, where where are you right now? You got a, a cool background for everybody listening on the, the podcast. What is this? You're downtown Vegas, yeah? I'm in my dining room at the okay. dining room table, as you can see, the non-businessy chair here. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is the new Resorts World International uh, Casino that just opened up. And then right over this, this is a new wing of the convention center um, that that is here. So got some things going on where we've been helping some uh, local businesses with, with some of the things they're, they're doing. So it's kind of convenient. That's, that's super cool. And so, you know, kind of break down for us. I know now you're creating this, this essentially this Chillionaire movement you had mentioned at the beginning. Um, what is this all about? It's a pe- place for people to, to learn how to manage their life. You know, what is, what is this all about? So, it's interesting you come to this because we've been talking about that. I think that, you know, a lot of people would like to have a life that is aligned. They really would like to be as happy as they project themselves to be. And so it really is about balancing and, and having specific protocols and practices to follow to balance that faith, that that family, whether that family is their own DNA sharing family or their vendors, their clients, their people that they come in contact with, 
um, balancing faith, family, fitness, building a life that's fit, having a home that they love to live in, you know, where, where do you want it to be? What do you want to wake up and see every morning? Um, and then building the finances that they want. It's going to be, I'm building a community, uh, that is not necessarily limited to those people who may be focused on, you know, consulting, coaching, high ticket sales, but this could apply to anyone, whether it's the stay at home mom, uh, that's trying to raise, you know, children of great legend at some, you know, future, uh, legendary adults, legends as children, um, just building a way for people to have measurable, uh, practices that they can take to elevate consistently each of these areas in their life so that they can truly have the life they feel they deserve because they designed it that way. Amazing. Are you, uh, are you still doing meetups like, um, events? Are you doing any live events? I'd like to come to one myself. I know you used to have maybe about two years ago, buddy, AJ Mirzad, he came to one, mm -hmm. remember him, but he said it was amazing. You know, um, Many of us didn't do events at all. And yes, this is, we're recording this in um, first of second quarter, 2022, actually the fourth day of second quarter, 2022 oh, is when we're actually recording it. And uh, so yes, 2022, I, I love getting together with people and sharing things and um, I'll be having some. So Eli, I'd love to have you. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, I want to find out where, where people can, you know, get a direct link to you, but, but first, um, are there any questions about sales influence that I didn't ask you that I should have anything that you think, uh, our folks should know? I love the questions that you asked. I think that, um, you know, influence is first about influence in yourself and, uh, you know, projecting, your own uh, mastery rather than trying to, you know, reflect some mystery that you yourself are also trying to uncover. Uh, so no, I love the questions that you asked. We could talk for another 10 years and, and just be scratching the surface on what it takes to be a great human. Uh, but, you know, I just invite people to study, not necessarily me, study the masters, study, you know, things, find things that you can you know, find out about, you know, how others in the past, whether in our current, you know, generation or decades, centuries, millennia ago, uh, find out the choices they went through, how they made great choices, how some of them made unwise choices and, you know, get feedback that'll help you live your life. But I've been super grateful for the questions. I've enjoyed being here. You know, one, one more, I, I usually ask this and kind of skipped over it. Uh, what time did you get up this morning? What'd you have for breakfast? Wondering just how, kind of how you start your day. So I was up this morning, probably 4.45 yeah, and exactly. I don't eat. I do um, fasting in the morning, so I don't eat. I've had water. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I just, I have coffee, which I'm probably sure. I haven't gotten there yet, but I am a strong proponent of coffee. Um, I think somewhere in the Bible, I haven't found it yet. It says <laughs> drinking coffee in the morning is next to godliness. I can't find that scripture, but I have no idea why it's not there. It's there, it's there. It's for sure. It's just, it's hidden. It's hidden. Um, well, yeah. Where, where can folks find out more about you? What you got going on? Is it uh chillionaire.com? Let's do that. I haven't had a, a, I'll be very candid for those watching this. Eli's reach out 
This first podcast I've been on has been yet another uh, foot on the gas pedal to, to serving at this level. So yeah, let's go over to chillionaire.com and this will be a new offer and one of the first times that I've made anything available for, um, well, everything's a good ROI, but some people aren't actually doing things that would ROI uh, or not committed to doing things that would ROI uh, perhaps what might be done in the business building stuff I do, but I do think that life building is incredibly important. So Chillionaire, C-H-I-L-L-I-O-N-A-I-R-E.com. I spelled my own name right. Yes. Uh, Chillionaire.com will get you there and have some information there and hopefully some, even some resources to some other cool things that even without investing may help quite a bit. Oh, thank you. And now we'll put that in the show notes and uh, yeah, this has been great. I'm going to check that out myself. So uh, such a pleasure to connect with you. And um, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. But uh, for everybody listening here, uh, this has been another great episode. And, and thank you so much for listening. Eli, it's been an honor to have, have the time to talk to you. It's amazing. I appreciate you, man. Thank you, sir. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Everything is Influence podcast. If you got value from this episode, loved what you heard, and you want to go deeper into really understanding the core fundamentals of influence, then I have one more gift for you. I've put together a special training just for the listeners of this podcast that breaks down the four levels of influence and how to start using these tools in your life today. If you want that free training, then go to wildinfluence.com forward slash go. That's wildinfluence.com forward slash go. That's wild with an E at the end, then influence.com forward slash go. All you need to do is enter your name, email, and phone number, and we will send that over to you straight away. Until the next time, my friend, this is Eli signing off from the Everything is Influence podcast.